0: My name is Leanne Burdett, and usually I am downstairs with the four-year-olds turning five or four and three-quarters, depending on who you ask in the room. Um, they are my loves, and um, they're praying for me, and several of them thought it was so cute that I was going to teach their moms this morning. So, um, Okay, we're on chapter 13 of Matthew, and when I started looking at this, I thought, I think it's too big to take all of it. I'll just take the parable of the four soils. That seems to be most familiar, and I started doing that, and it was a little bit like trying to take part of a bite off of a big bite that someone's sharing with me off their fork, and you know, you, you take that tiny little bite off, and then you're pulling back, and cheese is everywhere, and you're thinking, okay, now I'm committed. Do I just take the whole bite, or do I back, keep backing up and make a mess, and I decided just to take the whole bite, so we're covering the whole chapter 13 this morning, very quickly, and one of the reasons that I came to this conclusion was some things that I saw. Um, when, I was, when I laid it out horizontally, I could not get over the consistent running themes, and maybe y'all recognize this, of um, things hidden, buried, um, revealed, brought forth, and things of great value being redeemed. It was constant throughout the whole chapter. The other thing I noticed was this whole thing about seeds and plants and being buried and sprouting up, and um, that was also very consistent. The other thing about chapter 13 that I think is very interesting, and we don't want to miss it, and we might if we had just focused on one parable, is that it's a huge turning point in Jesus's ministry. Um, Up to this point, think about chapter 12 last week, Jesus has been griped griped at by the scribes and Pharisees, hounded, followed around by the naysayers and the sign seekers. He has demonstrated his power and his authority by miracles, and they still refuse to believe him. And not only that, they attribute all that work and that power to Satan himself. Um, it's just really clear at this point what Israel has done. And um, Jesus at this point, now I will say, yes, this is where Israel rejects Jesus even though the ultimate rejection doesn't occur until um, his death and crucifixion, they've basically made their decision, and the die is cast. And that's where we are right here. And um, I thought it was funny, as, you know, any battle-weary parent of a preschooler, or worse, a preteen, yes, it gets worse. (laughs) Jesus does what any of us would do. He leaves the house and heads for the beach. And so that's where we see him at the beginning of chapter 13. But don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. If I may borrow, you know, from Sarah Palin's daddy, Jesus isn't retreating. He's reloading. And this is really an interesting section of Scripture. So the two things I want to look at first sort of in this overview are the two things. The first is that in chapter 13, Jesus changes his method of teaching. And we're also gonna see that he changes his message concerning the kingdom. The first thing I wanna talk about just briefly is how he changes his method. Um, You might not notice it yet, but what you'll notice from here on out in Matthew is that Jesus begins to move out of the Jewish synagogues more and he moves out into the countryside. He moves the message out. You see him more often um, in the desert, the seashore, out in the countryside. Also, this is the first time in Matthew that we see parables. We know it's the first time because the disciples say, okay, what was that again? What what is this whole thing you're doing with the parables? And um, when they ask that question, Jesus gives them three reasons why he speaks in parables. And we see the reasons in uh, verses 11 through 17. Jesus uses parables to reveal truth, to conceal truth, and to fulfill prophecy. Okay, the word parable is taken from two Greek words, para and ballo. And it means to cast alongside. So what Jesus is doing in chapter 13 with these kingdom parables is that he's taking previously known truths and he's casting them out alongside known truths for the sake of comparison. Um, Okay, now, Jesus also... Um, uses parables to conceal truth. We're going to see that he does this because of Israel's rejection. This use of parables carries kind of an element of judgment on Israel for what they have done. Um, In verses 11 and 12, he tells his disciples that not only has it not been granted to them, the naysayers and the sign seekers, to not know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but what little understanding they've had will now be taken away from them. Do you remember that? Um, okay, now not only does he use, it, use the parables to reveal truth and conceal truth, but to um, fulfill prophecy, particularly Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. And that should be a reference there that you've noticed in some of those verses. We're also going to see that Jesus now alters his message regarding the kingdom. It's real important, you all, when we read Matthew from this point on, especially to keep in mind that the book of Matthew is written by a Jew for the Jews. And the reason that's significant is because the Jews had their hope in the establishment of an eternal kingdom, physical, literal kingdom set up on earth over which the Messiah, their king, would reign with a real crown on a real throne. Now, the reason why I stop here is because when I, when, when I or when you hear the words or the phrase kingdom of heaven, what do you, what comes to your mind typically? Heaven, Heaven, like what, the pearly gates, and the streets of gold, and our our vision of heaven, kingdom of heaven, comes from Revelation 21, which is the, the description of the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. When the Jews heard the phrase kingdom of heaven, they thought a real physical kingdom, they saw the gates, they saw a king on a throne, the whole, the whole deal. Um, this particular um, literal view, I find most consistent with scripture and it's watermarks view as well. So you can imagine, now think about this, you can imagine when Jesus comes on the scene and he shows up not only without a throne, a horse, a crown, he doesn't even have a kingdom. He didn't even have a bed to sleep in. They're like, where is, okay, so where's this kingdom? Because this is the thing we've been waiting for. And he's been roaming around the countryside in a homespun robe. This is not who we've been looking for. Does that put that in perspective for you? Okay, so they've been listening to all he's been saying, but they are not getting it. And I have concluded the only way they could have possibly gotten it as if their hearts had been hearing and not their heads. There's no other way. It was too bizarre, and it was too different. So what we see here is after chapter 12, what's very interesting is that Jesus never again preaches that the kingdom of heaven is at hand because it's no longer at hand. He reveals instead in chapter 13 a new kingdom age, a new age of kingdom preparation. And he initiates the future course of the kingdom in this world during the time period between his first coming and his second coming. I always thought that the second coming was the rapture. But Jesus actually came, He came the first time to earth and he comes a second time to set up his kingdom on earth. In between that, he comes back in the air for the believers. And that's what we call the rapture. Does that make sense? I bet no one else ever thought that but me, but that's, that's out there for you. Okay, now, verse 2 tells us that a great multitude had gathered to hear Jesus, and in a crowd this size, you're going to get all kinds of people. You're going to get the God-seekers and the thrill-seekers. So what, what Jesus does is this. He knows how critical what he's about to tell them is. He knows that their hearts have got to be ready for this because it's so huge. So he sifts, all the way through the indifferent and the desperate, and those who hear with their heads, and those who hear with their hearts. And he starts with the parable of the four soils. We are really only going to talk about the first and the last two soils, just to draw the contrast between what good soil is and what bad soil is. And Jesus, in this um, parable, is going to show us the importance, I think, of, um, um, of heart preparation, Okay. The problem here, let's start with the bad soil, that hard soil in verse um, 19, I think. Is it verse 19? Um, The problem here is that the soil is so hard, the seed just sits on top, and it makes the seed, the word of God, easy prey for the birds. According to verse 19, this is the one who hears the word of the kingdom, but does not understand it. It doesn't sink in Jesus is referring, obviously, to the Jewish leaders who've just rejected him. Um, They have heard it with their heads and not their hearts, so they haven't let it soak in. So our first point is this. A soft heart is a responsive heart. I want you to look at what Jesus tells them in verse 15. He says, The heart of this people has become dull. Well, the King James uses a phrase that I find very interesting to, to describe dull. The King James Version says, for this people's heart is waxed gross. Isn't that weird? This phrase comes, I, was, I kept thinking of earwax. This phrase, is. oh, that's funny, I just thought of that. They're, they couldn't hear because they had earwax. Um, okay, for the, the people, sorry, I digress. This phrase is from the Greek, and it literally means to thicken or fatten or make callus. And I could not help but think about the candle making process. You know, you take that wick and you dip it in, I've never made a candle, so I'm talking real big up here, but I've watched it done. They take the wick and they dip it in the hot wax and they take it out and it cools and hardens. And they dip it in the hot wax, take it out and it cools and hardens. The first time it looks like nothing has happened. But over time, the process of dipping and hardening, dipping and hardening, You Get the picture? It becomes gradually thicker and it grows in size. It's the same thing that happens when we get calluses on our hands or on our feet. Eventually, we stop feeling. And this is exactly how the soil of our heart becomes hardened. We, I shouldn't say we, I can say we, I think. We, I'm assuming, I know I do this, I often revisit over and over and over bitterness, or anxiety over something, or frustration, or doubt, or despair. The list could go forever. And I revisit these emotions over and over. And my own sinful traffic patterns beat a path over my heart, and it becomes hard packed. And I become easy prey for the birds of the air, Satan himself. The seeds just tend to sit on top. And I'm not letting God's word really soak in. Um, what happens when this occurs is that, uh, think about the soil again. Soft, good soil is precious because it sits very loosely in the ground. And because of this, it allows all those great nutrients to trickle in, the light and the water. And um, it's the, kind of the putting together of all these different elements, these wonderful nutrients that allow the soil to absorb what it needs to in a way the soil sort of recognizes the significance of all the individual parts and is able to kind of put it together to be fed which leads me to our second point a responsive heart seeks to understand I want you to look real closely at verse 19 and 23 we're going to kind of compare them real quickly You've got one man who hears and does not understand, and Satan comes and takes the truth. You have another man who hears, and he does understand, and he bears fruit. When I was first looking at this, I thought, well, okay, that's not really very fair. The poor guy can't help it if he doesn't understand. I've been looking at this for six weeks, and I'm not sure I understand it. And then I thought, oh, okay, that's the difference. I've, I've at least made an effort seeking to understand does require some amount of effort the word understand in these passages is very interesting it means to take what is heard or perceived or recognized and put it together it's like collecting pieces of a puzzle different features of something and bringing them all together to create a picture that aha moment it said, and I really think this is true, and I also think it's one of the other reasons Jesus uses parables, is that parables draw out a man's desire to discover and uncover the truth. And didn't you feel that a little bit? If you were reading these, didn't you, if you were really looking at them, I bet you stopped a few times and went, now what does that mean now? What, is, what are you talking about right there? And you have a choice at that point. You can go, yeah, well, I don't really know, so I'm going to let it sit here. And and what happens? We're in danger when we do that because Satan is ready and he's poised to snatch it. Or we can go, hmm, there might be something here for me. I think I'm going to dig a little deeper. Hebrews 11.6 tells us that God is a, a rewarder of those who seek him. Do you think you'll ever, ever, ever in your life ask him to show you something and have him go, yeah, no, I'm busy? No. You're gonna, he's going to put down everything and he's going to explain it to you. The Psalms tell us to seek understanding as we would silver. This is like a treasure. Search for her as hidden treasure. Again, interesting themes running through. Okay, so how do I improve the soil of my heart? If I kind of recognize that it might be hard in certain areas and I'm not really receiving the nutrients that I think I probably should be, is there anything I can, is there any hope for me? There actually is. It is possible to take hard, unyielding, solid ground and turn it into wonderful, fruitful soil. Do you know what you add to it? Any, any gardeners in here? What? Uh, you're, you're, you're close. We could be here all day, so I'll just go ahead and tell you the answer. <laughs> we're, on, we're on the clock. Um, it's organic matter. Do you know what organic matter is? It's poop, it's like decay, it's dead things. Think about this, think about this. To make good soil, you add death. This is what y'all, this is exactly what happens in my heart every day. It's what continues or should continue to die within me every day that supplies my heart with what I need for spiritual growth. It's why Paul said, I die daily. 1 Corinthians 15, 31. Jesus even told his disciples, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He's talking about his death and resurrection, but it is no less true of the condition of our hearts. But it's a hard thing to die to self. But I guarantee you the result is a fruitful heart. So number three, our third point, is a heart which daily dies to self bears much fruit. A few last things about good soil that I want to bring to your attention as, as forms of encouragement. First of all, there is one good soil you'll notice. There is one good soil, but there are three good yields. I think for women particularly, we get real kind of, I know I do, I'll watch somebody who I think is working for the kingdom really well, and they're doing all these amazing things, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm just no, not adequate. I don't have time for all that. I can't do all that. I can't organize all that. Ever felt that way? Um, there are three different yields. God does not expect us all to produce the exact same kind of fruit or the amount of fruit. Praise God. He just wants you to be faithful what you've, with what you've been given. Secondly, in the Eastern... Um, countries during this time, a yield of 100 was not uncommon. It's not like he's asking much of us. There were sometimes yields of 200 plus. Isn't that encouraging? It's not like he set the bar way up here. He just said, do your best. And finally, as so I flip the application here, as sowers of the word, I do not want us to get discouraged if You know, or discouraged by indifferent or hardened responses from others when we are trying to impart what we've been taught. Um, It's the condition of the soil, not the seed, that produces the fruit. So be encouraged there. Now, I know it seems like we've spent a lot of time on heart preparation, but if you can understand, Jesus is about to reveal things never known before, ever. In the history of the world, the only people that have ever known what he's about to say— are God himself and his son and his spirit. That's it. So what he's about to say is very, very, very critical. It is going to be this incorruptible word of God sown in the hearts of the disciples that will feed generations to come. Big, big stuff. So in verses 24 through 30, Jesus tells the very first of the kingdom parables publicly to the multitudes. And um, he moves through and reveals these great truths about this new kingdom that's going to come. Um... It's going to look very different. He's going to sow, the the deceiver's going to come and sow some um, counterfeit believers in there, and um, Satan's going to oppose the work. But there's going to be this time period prior to the establishment of the kingdom. And we may have to just run through those kind of quickly. Um, If y'all need these, I've got them, and I I can give them to you, and y'all can write them all down. There's four of them. Um, Okay, my fourth point, and I'm sorry, I'm kind of flying through this, is um, a fruitful heart proves genuine against counterfeit work of Satan. The reason that the wheat and the tares goes into so much explanation about Satan's work is that we've got to be aware of it. We've really got to know what we're up against with him. He is working nonstop. The fact that Satan sows those tares um, in the dead of night shows you that his MO is one of deception. And I want to point out real quickly to you that The tares are really not just weeds. It's a plant called the bearded darnel. And the Jews called it bastard wheat because it so closely resembled the real thing. What he's really talking about here is these seeds of counterfeit doctrine and these counterfeit believers that will be sown into Christendom, sown into the the growing church. That is application for us too. If you are seeking out Christ for the first time in your life and you really Are examining these truths make sure you're examining the real thing if you've been a believer for a long long time make sure what you've always believed or heard is really what's in the Bible and then before Jesus enters the house he tells the mustard seed parable and he tells um, the leaven parable I don't have time to go into either of those explanations there are a lot of controversy over what those mean and the same thing with um, the hidden treasure and what's the other one? Um, the Pearl of Great Price, yeah. But um, both of them are, are kind of detailed. But what's so funny to me is after all of this, and even the dragnet still talks about the evil and the righteous being sorted out, Jesus at the very end, he says to them, okay, do you understand? Now, I don't know, what's, you know what I get a bigger kick out of him saying, do you understand, or them saying yes. Because all we this, we're, we're all still trying to put this parable thing together and what the meaning of it all is. But the the gist of it, he tells them is this, and I love what he says, you are now like the head of a household who brings forth out of your treasure things new and old. And he's telling them, you have always been a scribe, you've written down the law, you've learned the law, you've trained others in the law, now take the law, the old things you've known, roll them up against the things I am telling you now in the newness of this new life that you've been given and go share it, pull it out of your pantry Clean it out. And that's what he says. Take out of your treasure the things old and new in that, in that verse and share it. So our point five is a fruitful heart is faithful to share from its bounty. Jesus tells his disciples, it's now your responsibility and privilege as a host, the possessor of these good things, to bring forth out of your treasure the new and the old. I don't know about you, but as we're waiting in this age of opportunity right now, which is why I've titled the lesson this, um, I don't know how many of you wait in your car during that soccer lesson or that piano lesson or whatever it is, and you just stare out the window. Now, there are times I've done that, but it's not on purpose. But usually we're bringing things with us, and we're making the most of every single second because we know that the time is short. That's where we are right now. And I think the Lord would have us soak it in and then give it out. Are we, trying, are we taking full advantage of the time before the Lord returns to know, grow, and go? All right, let's pray. Father, um, that you would entrust the likes of us with the mysteries of heaven is the biggest mystery of all. I, I do not understand it, and yet I am convinced by the power of your spirit it is not only something you desire to transform my heart, but it's your desire that in the transferring of that information, those around me are transformed by your spirit as well. Help us learn and to dig in, to figure out from your word what that looks like, and we know that you will reward our efforts. Praise be to God for that. We love you, and help us to go this week with the mindset that that this is true. In Christ's name, amen.